It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. You're welcome. You know what that? You know what that sounded to me like? I like that you do this thing before you answer that. I like that you <laughs> read into my "thank you for having me, Joe" every week to try That's to get right. a sense of my mood, of how I, where I am, how I'm feeling. Right. Yeah. I feel like I feel like so much of it uh, is is revealed. In just those few words, I think so much of it. There have definitely been times, I would say, where I was like notably sad about whatever yes. something had happened or it was notably <laughs> excited about like a fun guest, like when David Roth was here or when yes. uh, when we had Joey a, Votto. Joey Votto, yeah. 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 Where, where it's like there's a you can read into my answer the emotion that is dominating my personal <laughs> experiential life at that moment. But what? It, so right. tell me what you got from this one. Today, this is what I got. I got a sense of complete confusion because I don't think we know have any idea what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, think I that... just got this. I just got this sort of like, okay, sure, but I don't have any idea what we're going like. Talk what about you got today. was like, uh, like I'm um, killing, like I'm stretching, I'm killing time, I'm like, I'm faking it. <laughs> Because because we're at a total loss. Look, there's some things we can talk about today. I have one hockey topic I would like to bring up. Oh, very good. Which I think very might good. be a podcast first. I don't think we've ever talked puck. On I don't the think we've ever. It, there, there are a couple of things I want to say about that before before we get because I think hockey should be first on our list today since we have nothing else to talk about. Right. But before we do that, I do want to sort of how do they say it? Tie a bow. Mm. I want to tie a bow on our incredible baseball card experience yes. here on the podcast. We have some business to clean up there. Yes, let's do it. The first thing I want to say is, so so people should know, I think we've already made this official announcement, but we donated $110,000 uh, from you. Our, thank you. That is Mike applauding you, our listeners. Uh, $110,000, including... I would like to say I would like I don't know that they even want a, a shout out, but I would like to say a very generous donation from the Topps baseball yes, card. Yes, they stepped company. up. Stepped up big. Really stepped up big. Really, really did. Uh, which is amazing because you would think they would see what we were doing and just go, "No, you're not helping <laughs> us at all." See, I disagree. <laughs> Look, granted, we did open some cards from their competitors, Donruss, Fleer, Upper Deck, etc. But who out there in the landscape of American culture did more to highlight the joy of opening <laughs> baseball cards over a month? span than we True. did a very few True. people i would say very few over over that especially in the month of january when, <laughs> before the cards have actually come out 
I don't know that others have, have really uh, done that. Yeah, let's just review for one second. We did this in the month of January, and we also did it with packs of cards that were between 30 and 40 years old That's for the right. most part. Before Tops finally stepped in, we're like, can you please open some recent cards? We, we'd like to we'd like to just give you new cards just so you'll just, stop Please, doing God. Please, God, stop doing. opening cards from the early 80s and 90s. <laughs> so, but... Honestly, uh, incredible. Uh, truly, incredible. truly incredible. $110,000 to the Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Foundation slash ALCS Foundation. Also, That's right. um, here's an update for you grand prize winners, the, multi, yes. the six, uh, half dozen or so grand prize winners. Through a very intricate web of, <laughs> of uh, interstate <laughs> mailings and packages, we now have in one location here in Los Angeles, all of the signed books and uh, essays that Joe has written and yes. uh, and other things, the Derek Jeter prize package items have been assembled. <laughs> and so uh, I, I very much hope that those boxes will be officially assembled, pa uh, uh, packed up, sealed, and mailed sometime in the next week. It's March 8th, Wednesday, as we're recording this. I very much hope those can get mailed soon so hang in there you will we get are your hoping to yeah. yes before opening day we are hoping yes. hoping to get this to you before opening day um it is also worth mentioning one more time that it was only going to be one <laughs> essay that was <laughs> That was that was how this was supposed. Okay, to Okay, wait, there but here's so yes, yeah, so uh, for those of you who may be tuning into the for the first time, uh, I unilaterally announced uh, without any provocation out of, out, of out of nowhere that Joe was going to write that there were going to be five prize winners who could choose a card that we open and then get a typewritten essay personalized for them by Joe. I just said it was five. I don't know why. I don't remember no. why I said that. I just said no, it. it was one. It was yeah. one coming in. We had we had agreed. We, it's not like we hadn't talked about it before. We had talked. We had agreed. And as we were going, we we're like, yes, we're going to be a prize winner. And you're right. going to be like, yes, we're going to give five <laughs> prize winners. <laughs> Which then led to... You and Jonathan Eig and Jason Kander all having to send me five copies of their books to send out. That's right. Uh, That's and right. you having to write five essays about five different five baseball players. Essays. Right. Correct. So, so this package of stuff arrives in my Los Angeles office uh, yesterday, and I go and I, I unpack it. And in the uh, box that Joe sent me are five copies of the Baseball 100, which weigh a combined two and a quarter tons. <laughs> That's right. And That's right. Uh, and five essays with five baseball cards attached to That's them, right. right? And then also there's another one. This is what a true <laughs> lunatic sicko Joe Posnanski is. And this is why if you if you want your the, look in this day and age with inflation in this economy, very hard to get a bargain. I would say very very few yes. things that you would say are a bargain. Joe Posnanski's Substack is a bargain because when you when you subscribe to someone's Substack, you imagine okay, this person is going to write a few hundred words a couple times a week, couple and and I'm going to yeah. pay four ninety nine a, a month or whatever. Joe Posnanski writes between eight and twelve thousand words a day, seemingly <laughs> uh, every single day. And uh, as as further evidence of what a bargain it is to subscribe to his Substack. In addition to the five essays that he included about five different baseball players, 
That's right. Uh, for the for, because I unilaterally said there are going to be five grand prize winners. <laughs> There's another file in this package for me, for Mike Short, yes. the guy who made him do all this extra work. He just picked out Marty Barrett. 1986 ALCS and World <laughs> Series legend Marty Barrett and just decided to write an entire essay just for me because he has logophilia, I think. He cannot <laughs> stop himself. If I go into your house right now, am I going to see writing all over your walls and oh, mirrors yeah. no, it's, and, it's and totally, on every surface? Like It's, it's totally a beautiful mind, only... <laughs> only even more gibberish than that. It's just, it's just. It, you, you can't see, help yourself. You're like a serial no. killer. You want to get caught. Like you, I, so there's, and I haven't read it yet because when I looked at the files, I didn't, I noticed there, there was one from Marty Barrett and I thought like, oh, I guess somebody must've chosen the Marty Barrett card. That's cool. And then later you texted me and were like, did you see the thing I wrote for you? And I suddenly realized that Marty Barrett essay is for me. I didn't ask you to do it. You just did it no. because you cannot help yourself. You are a compulsive I, baseball writer who cannot stop himself from writing about baseball. That is true. It is true. I will say uh, in, in my defense that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I get in the mail a package from one Michael Shore, which includes a bunch of very cool, but still horrifying Don Russ and Flair cards uh, <laughs> that, that you opened. Yep. Um, that I thought you might and like. And also yeah. that I would like, which they're all incredibly cool. You got the weird Mr. Baseball Reggie Jackson card the 80, in there. 81 I, Flair <laughs> Reggie Jackson, Mr. Baseball, not his nickname. <laughs> not his nickname <laughs> at all, uh, which I love very much. No, they're all very cool cards. But also in there, there was a uh, a separate little thing that you opened up and it was actual baseball cards that Mike designed for my new book, why we love baseball. So yeah. they're, they're, they're specifically designed with facts about me on the back. Right. Uh, including the fact that I'm apparently, I love boating. You love boating. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was so, so, just this to be clear, this was me assuaging my own guilt for forcing you yes. into the amount of work that I made you do. No, that's right. So that's I was right. like, and I had, and I was on the top site, I was on the top's website because uh, of my renewed interest in baseball cards. And I saw you can order your own baseball cards, any photo you want, anything you want to write on the back. It's a cool idea. You can use a bunch of designs through history. I chose the 73 design because i knew you liked Which the 73 awesome. design i love it and yes. i and the, the 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 picture there are two different sets one of them is the picture of the baseball 100 cover the other is a picture of the new book why we love baseball cover although i think i used the wrong one which makes you it use the old cover, use the old which cover is cooler, which, which is cooler. cooler it's more of, it's like an error yes. card now it's like it'll be <laughs> worth more um and i and so i made them for you as a way to essentially say I'm sorry that I forced you into writing so much baseball right. stuff when that was not necessary. But then now you've just put the burden back on me by Ooh, now writing an right. essay no. about Marty Barrett for no reason for me. So now I'm still in the hole. I'm still in debt to That's you. That's right. No, that is the whole point. The whole point was to put you completely back oh, in the hole, which it. is where you are. Well played, sir. So. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much. This, I mean, we, we really are wrapping this up. We're going to try to do something cool like this again this coming year. Yeah. Um, we, we have not yet announced our new charity, but, uh, but it is coming and we're going to, uh, we're going to do, try to do some cool things. This is, uh, I was talking to some people the other day and I was trying to explain to them what the podcast is, uh, and which I have tried to do in the past. And mm -hmm. people have always said, 
well, why do you do that? Like, what, like, what, what reason? And now I was able to say, here's why we do it. Yeah. Because we've raised a lot of money for very cool charities. Yeah. Um, and and I feel like we have not quite balanced the scale of the damage that we have done. No, nope, we're the still years. still in the hole. Much like me in <laughs> in with respect to you, we are still at a, running at a deficit. But we're getting closer to digging our way out of it. I would say between now the Negro Leagues Museum. And the Veterans Community yes. Project and this enormous chunk of money that's going to the uh, Eleanor and Lou Gehrig ALS Foundation, we are we're we are paying off our debt to society uh, of the damage we have caused by doing this podcast uh, <laughs> every week since 1981. Now, 42 years of uh, right. of nonsense and misery inflicted upon the listeners. So, I think with another couple years of concerted effort to raise money for worthwhile charities. I think we will zero out and we'll be free, free men. Once again, it'll be, it'll be, we'll be, we'll be debt free. Yeah. However, those couple of years, we will add to the damage. That's the thing. It's two steps forward, one step back, because every time we do one of these, we are going into debt psychically. Exactly. We'll have more of an over, but 110 grand. That's a lot of money. Like I feel like that, that's a lot of money. That got that's us. A lot of money. That got us a decent way. That got us like twenty five percent of the way out of the debt that we've uh, caused for the I world. I think so. I think so. It's really cool. It's really cool. All right. You wanted to talk about hockey. I do want to mention one thing about hockey, which I did not know. A uh, friend of the podcast, Colin Hanks, uh, who has been on the podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, and we hope to have back. Uh, I am doing something kind of hopefully cool for my new book, which I been meaning to mention to you um and i wanted to send him something I'm, I'm sending out a few things to to various people to try to uh promote the book a little bit and i asked him who his favorite baseball player was growing up okay and here's what colin hanks told me he had none but that he had he said i, I love the game never had a favorite baseball player but i can talk to you for days and days about my favorite hockey players. Interesting. So apparently, Colin Hanks. So if we, so, if we turn this into a little bit of a hockey podcast, which is of course just the next natural step. next logical step, yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, we've got to have Colin Hanks on here. To, apparently, he is a hockey lunatic. So I, as you, as I think I mentioned in an earlier edition of this podcast, went to my first hockey game in forty something years. Uh, That's right. It was an L.A. Kings Boston Bruins matchup. And so I went with Colin. Colin was my. Oh, you did yes. go with Colin. So okay, Colin, so Colin go. was my hockey Sherpa who because I was okay. like, I don't I don't remember anything about this game, how it's played, what it looks like, what it feels like. You have to sit next to me and talk to me, talk me through it. So he is a he is a true blue hockey. He is a hockey nut. And um, growing up, he uh, discovered the L.A. Kings, discovered hockey like the, the whatever that thing is in your brain like that lit up. He grew up in yeah. Sacramento. And so he was a Giants fan in baseball, uh, right. but became an L.A. Kings fan because he went to games with his uh, dad. And um, and just like saw it was like the he feels about hockey the way you and I feel about baseball. Like you walk out yeah, of the so. concourse, you see the green of the grass and you smell the uh, the the <laughs> peanuts and beer in the air. And so he's he sees the sheen of the, the ice, sheen of the, the ice uh... and the and the sweat <laughs> on the brow of the Zamboni driver. And he just was is a fan for life. So he took me to that game, which was a, a very fun uh, game. And I wouldn't say it completely like rekindled my love for hockey, but I was I absolutely marveled at the speed and the power and the intensity of the game. 
to the point where I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I think like most sports, I think hockey is very different in 2023 than it was when the last time I saw a game <laughs> live, which was like 1981 at the Hartford Civic Center yes. or whatever. So, but, uh, I just couldn't believe the experience, and this has said a lot about hockey, the experience of seeing it live is night and day from the experience of watching it on TV. Here we go. Let's do this right now. Biggest gap between live and uh, and in on television. Hockey number All one. Sports. Hockey number one with Hockey number uh, one and number two and number three. Yeah. Right? It's like it's like my kids do all the time. Hockey number one, space bar, space bar, space bar. And, yep. then, and then we'll go to number two. Number two? Because it's, it's un... What, what do you think is number two? It's how different. Interesting. I've got, I've got a thought about what I think is number two from a recent experience that I had. I think number two is the NBA. Yeah, that's what I would say. Now, the NBA is a great television sport. Mm-hmm. It is. But you do not, in any way, shape, or form, no matter how many times you've seen it live, you do not get the dimensions from television. No. You just you don't, don't get, understand how big you don't these get guys the, are. You don't you get the don't. spacing. You don't get the, right. the the degree to which the act the the lightning quick reflexes of these guys. Yes. Um. I uh, the first, I think that one of the first basketball games I saw, uh, when I after I moved to L.A. was a game in which competing in the game were both Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, and this was in their primes. This is years and years okay. and years ago. And sure. I had watched both Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant on television a number of sure. times and had marveled at the athleticism and the acumen and all that sort of stuff. When you see them in person, you're like, oh, these are not, these are aliens. These are not human That's beings. Right. They right. are faster and larger and stronger and move more like violently and yet also gracefully than any humans you have ever seen doing anything in your life. And I, I still have like sense memories of watching Russell Westbrook take the ball at the top of the key, hesitate for a millionth of a second, blow past like three guys and jump up and dunk so violently that the entire arena shook back and forth. <laughs> and and then the and then one second later, Kevin Durant dribble as a seven footer, six eleven, yes. seven feet, whatever he is, uh, getting the ball on the wing dribbling the ball through his legs a number of times, crossing over, jumping up, leaping so high in the air, his head grazed the roof of uh, of the old Staples Center and That's then right. took like a 22-foot jump shot that hit the hit went through the rim so perfectly the arc of the ball was not interrupted you know what i mean like it <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it didn't like, it, it, it just continued on its parabola <laughs> as it crossed through the rim which i feel like is According to the laws of physics, possible. not possible. Right. Yeah. No. And it really, like, that was, I credit that game that I saw, like, this is 2010 or something. I don't remember what it was. That game rekindled my interest in the NBA. I had sort of lost interest in the NBA in the time I was in college. The Celtics kind of stunk in the early part of the yeah. 2000s. And but you didn't go live. I didn't I'm go live. You, they, and the, I was living in New difference. York, and the Knicks kind of stunk, and they yep. were, fu- they weren't, it, basketball wasn't exciting. I saw that game, and I was like, oh, this is, I need to pay attention to this. Now, to get back to the original topic, I didn't necessarily feel that with hockey, although since I saw that game, I have watched 
two complete hockey games on television, which again is two more hockey games than I have watched <laughs> in the last 40 years on television. Inc- I would I, assume they're both Bruins games. Both Bruins games. Okay, um, listen, that part of it is that Bruins team is incredibly exciting. So this is my point, and this is what I want to bring yes. up. I, As you know, every day as the stats intern on the mothership, the Dan Lebatard Show with Stu Gatz, uh, run by head goon, head metal art goon Dan Lebatard, I give That's a right. stat. I give a stat of the day, and um, the one that I'm going to give tomorrow, so I can talk about it now because this won't be up until after I do it, is is this, and I think it's one of the craziest stats uh, that I've ever seen. So the Boston Bruins, as everybody knows, are the best team in hockey, um, but and they, their their record is they. I think they have eight losses on the season. It's we're in we're in the middle of March, like we're heading. Pretty, yeah, it's, we're, it's, we're pretty close to the Stanley Cup nuts. playoffs, and they've lost eight games. Um, That's right. But here's the stat that blew my mind. Only four times this year in 62 games have they lost by more than one goal. Wow. Four times. They have lost. Their worst loss is a 3 nothing loss to the Seattle Kraken at home. <laughs> uh, that's the worst loss they've had all year. There's no 7-1. to one, There's no... Eight to three. There's no six nothing. They have four losses by more than one goal, and three of those are, I believe, or I think two are by two goals and two are by three goals. That's it. Now, I again, I'm a novice. I am a. Uh, I don't purport to have any understanding of the history of the sport or of the uh, the nature of the of the ups and downs and vicissitudes of an average season. I can't believe. There are many teams that have gotten to March 8th, 62 games into an 82-game schedule, and only have lost by more than one goal four times to that point. That's got to be – they have to be setting all sorts of crazy records with the run that they're on right now. It's because you cannot score against them. I mean, like, they they not only – I mean, they're they're one of the best, uh, if not the best. They're right near the top uh, goal-scoring teams. Right. But goals against, they're like – 15% 15% better than like the second best team. Like yeah. they're, they're like the, I, I haven't looked at it recently. In fact, I'll look at it right now. Yeah. They've given up 129 goals. And the next is the Carolina hurricanes who have given up 156. So 27 more goals. That's 20%. Yeah. Basically 20%. They're 20% better uh, at, at preventing goals. You just can't score on them. And, and watching them play, because uh, I did, I watched uh, the the. We Sunday watched that game. same game. Yeah, we we both the watched same that game. game. Yeah. We were texting a little bit about it, and it's not what I think is really fun about them is they play great defense by keeping the puck on offense. You know what I mean? Like like they're I'm sure they're great at the, like I don't know all the ins and outs of of back checks and everything else that you have to do, but. You can't get the puck away from them. Like you can't get it out of your own zone. You can't. I mean, they're they're crazy good. And I have to admit, there are. I I was when I was a kid, I saw a game at the Boston. Not a kid. I was in, maybe probably in college. I saw a game at the Boston Garden, a, a hockey, the old Boston Garden, and it was incredible. I mean, it's like really still something I still cling to you know i bought a boston bruins uh, black sweatshirt i was so excited so i have like this little kind of thing for the bruins and to watch them play uh this year a little bit has been really fun it's it's been the first time i've kind of been excited about hockey 
uh, in a little while. Well, and there's a couple of things to say about this. Number one, a couple other stats that I was just tinkering with. They have a better away record this year than any t- other team has a home record. They're they're twenty three six and two away. The wow. Carolina Hurricanes, who are in first in the Metropolitan Division of the Eastern Conference, That's right. are twenty two and seven at home. So they have a better away record than the next best team in the conference <laughs> has a home record. They also are plus one hundred and five in goal differential. Carolina's plus fifty eight. So they're roughly fifty goals better in goal differential than the second place team, yeah. which which is. Yeah unfathomable now there is i do understand something called the president's trophy jinx which is that essentially the best regular season team in hockey wins the president's trophy and then that team has a penchant for getting swept out of the playoffs very early last year was the florida panthers who uh finished with the best record and they lost in the sec they got swept by the lightning i think in the second round uh so there's a this big question right is this going to happen to the brewers is this all just regular season stuff and once you get to the playoffs everything changes who knows again I know nothing about hockey, so I can't possibly even (laughs) speculate. But they sure seem, when you watch them, like an overwhelming force that cannot be stopped. Like They seem like every line that they put on the ice is better than every other line that everybody else is putting out. When they have penalties called against them, they seem to kill those penalties effortlessly. Like It doesn't look like they're straining. It's not like they're hanging on by a thread. They're just like... And they, in fact, in that game that we watched against the Rangers, they sco- they were they had a penalty called against them, and then imme- at the end of the first period, at the beginning of the second period, with the penalty still in effect, effortlessly scored a shorthanded goal, and went up uh, three to one or whatever it was. And it's like, oh yeah, they're they're better a man down than every other team is at full strength. That's what that's at least the way it seems. That's crazy. I'm telling you what, I think leading into the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are coming up, I guess, in a relatively short period of time, I think we have Colin on the podcast. Yeah. And you and I don't even say anything. We literally just just let him do the whole podcast. Yeah. The hockey. Yeah. What it do was, you think? I mean, it was. Moved. So I, I think I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's relevant again when I went to this hockey game with him. So when I was in college, uh, I had a summer job. Um, and that kept me in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I and I was working with a kid who is a who had come to uh, Harvard from Kenya, and um, and he and I became friends. And he at some point mentioned that he'd never seen a baseball game and kind of wanted to go. And I was like, I love baseball. Let's go to Fenway. We got all all the time in the world. So I said, and I remember saying like, what? Tell me what you know about baseball. And he said, I know that there's something called a pitcher. And I know that there's someone named Griffith Jr. who is very good. <laughs> and I was like, "This is great. I am. Let me it's be. Awesome. Let me be your Sherpa because I know baseball inside and out. I will tell you everything." So we walked. We got tickets to the game, and we walked into the game, and uh, at, we got there like just uh, after like the first or second hitter of the of the first inning. And as we were walking in, we were walking to our seats in the right field grandstand, and there was a runner on first. And uh, the, a guy hit a, a ball deep into the triangle and everybody was uh, going crazy in the stands and the guy rounded third and the, the guy was going for a triple. But then I think what happened in my memory is the runner stopped halfway home and went back to third. So then the, guy, the batter had to go back to second and then got caught in a rundown. And then the uh-huh. guy tried to score from third. And this guy, <laughs> this poor man... This poor kid that I was with was like, so what's going on? And I was like, ah, it's, I, it's so, okay, so <laughs> I 
It's like completely. <laughs> it's not fell, always this complicated. It's not always this. Completely tough. fell apart and in an utter inability to explain. Because I was at the level of having to say like, okay, that's the pitcher's mound. That's first base. That's second base. You know what I mean? Right. Like I had to start from scratch. And then we walked into one of the most confusing things that can happen in a game. So when I was with Colin at this hockey game, I was asking him the same very basic sorts of questions. Like, I understand sure. what the positions are. I understand, like, I understand how goals are scored. I know what icing is. I know what I know what right. happens when their their puck goes out of play. I know what a faceoff is. Like, I have way more of a base than that guy did when it came to baseball. However, I found in it to to my delight that when a ding dong who doesn't know anything about your favorite sport is asking pretty simple questions, that it's really hard to explain them to some to that person. So I was like, like at one point, like they the 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 puck was dropped, they skated around for 30 seconds, there was a line change. And I was like, okay, so so why did they have a line change right there? Like what was it that led to that line change so quickly? And he was like, well, uh, you know, it the because the the puck was in the uh in the zone and they like it, it, he was just like it was like it was so it's such a basic question that he doesn't even know how to answer it. And then right. then and this is sort of the equivalent of that crazy base running situation I walked into. They they at one point in the first period skated for like eight or nine minutes without a stoppage. It was endless wow. action. It was like and I was like, how like they haven't the puck hasn't gone out like they've it's been, you know, they skate down, the pass is intercepted, they go the other way, there's a shot, they take it the other way. And it was like eight or nine continuous minutes of action. Wow. And I was like, How 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 frequent is that? Is that a common occurrence? And he was like I, I don't know. Maybe I, like he like that's not the kind of thing you think about that much, right? When you're like a hockey fan, like you're not like those. That to me was fascinating, but to him, he's seen yeah. every version of that ten thousand times in his life, and right. it like it's like saying like hmm, that guy threw a curveball there. Is that interesting? And it's like is that interesting? Sort of. I know, but yes, I guess well, but- it, it was one and two. Maybe it's interesting. I don't know. Like it was just very funny to have someone have to try to dumb himself down to my level to explain a sport that he loved so much. Well, I, you know what, I'm going to, I'll tell one of my all time favorite stories because it's, it's along those same lines. When I was just starting out as a, as a, uh, I wasn't even a writer. I was working as a clerk uh, at the Charlotte observer and they sent me out to a minor league baseball game, a Charlotte, I believe it was the Charlotte O. No, it was probably the Charlotte Knights already by then. So the Charlotte Knights were the double A team of the Chicago Cubs, and now they're triple A of the White Sox. But anyway, uh, so I was in the press box, uh, and I was sitting next to Billy Williams because Billy Williams uh, was a roving instructor for the Cubs at the time, uh, which was incredibly cool. I mean, in fact, they the Cubs would always send people around uh, to, to different, uh, you know, different instructors, uh, which was, which was kind of funny and ridiculous. Jimmy Pearsall was one of their instructors. He was not a great guy. Now, I don't, not to, <laughs> not to knock Jimmy Pearsall, but Jimmy Pearsall would yell at you if you didn't like what you were saying. Anyway, sitting next to Billy Williams and the game's going on. And I think to myself, I have a question for Billy Williams because here's one of the all-time great hitters, mm-hmm. Hall of Fame hitter, right next to me. I'll never have this opportunity again. They'll never be. I mean, we were just sitting there talking. And I have a question, but it's so simple and ridiculously basic 
that he's going to think I'm an idiot for asking the question. But I'm dying to ask him the question anyway because I don't know the answer. And he's Billy Williams. I'll never get a better opportunity. So I summoned my courage. By the way, hold on. Smash cut to you like 30 years later, spending an inordinate amount of time with like Willie Mays and, <laughs> and Buck O'Neill and Reggie Jackson and Dave Winfield. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I did not realize where the, the, the direction my life would take me right. in all of these circumstances. In my mind, I'm thinking I'll never meet anybody as cool as Billy Williams. And I so I summoned my courage and summoned my energy and I said, Mr. Williams, uh, I have a question for you, but it's a very basic one. And he said, sure, ask me anything you want. And I said, what is the difference between a curveball and a slider? And and I heard people around the press box like laughing. Sure. At like how stupid this question was. And what, what happened next, I will cherish this for the rest of my life. He took my notepad and he pulled out a pen and he started drawing like the, I don't. I don't have that pad. I would do anything. You that don't. Still, no. I. What didn't is even wrong think with you? <laughs> Whatever this is, how did you not take it home and frame it immediately? Well, there's another one like that. I'll tell you in a second. So, he's he's drawing like okay. So this is the shape of a curveball. This is the shape of a slider, and you can see this breaks later, and this breaks more sideways, and this is more up and down. But you can go a little bit uh, side to side on curves, but then it's a sweeper. And so he's explaining, and he's like, oh, no, this is the way Gibson's slider would go, and this is the way that Tom Seaver's slider would go, and Carlton's slider would cut like this, but but his curveball would go like this. And he's going through it on and on, and it was like a 10-minute master class Man. from one of the greatest players of all time. And uh, I just was in awe an awe of this moment. And at the end, he said to me something that I've, I've held on to forever. He said, and by the way, don't worry about it. None of these guys know the difference between a curveball and a slider. <laughs> which, is, which is the coolest thing. That is not the coolest thing I ever threw out, that notepad that he wrote on, which is I would do What is wrong now. with you? No, this is even worse. I was I went to do when, when Pete Rose was thrown out uh, after five years, the five-year anniversary of him being thrown out of baseball, I went down to Florida. I was working for the Cincinnati Post at the time. I went down to Florida to chase him down to talk about it. And he wasn't talking to anybody. He was he was avoiding everything. So I just went to his his restaurant uh, there in wherever the heck it was back then. And I walk in and there's a uh, the waitress says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm here. I'm doing a story on Pete Rose in five years. And she's like, well, He's over there, and you can just go talk to him. And he was sitting there. He was just sitting there by himself. And and I said, yeah, you know, I don't think he's actually talking. She's like, he's over there. Just go talk to him. Like, she didn't even understand. She was like your editor so, at this point. Exactly. She's like, he's sitting right there. So I walked over to him, and uh, I told him who I was, and he, he kicked out a seat, and he said, have a seat. And he talked to me for like three hours. And it was the greatest because – Pete Rose, for as bad a person as he is, is one of the great interviews and storytellers of all time. Anyway, at one point, this was when he was still in the I never bet on baseball uh, phase of his life. Sure. So he said, so I said, yeah, well, you know, they've got, uh, you know, tickets of you. You know, they've got, they've got, you know, receipts. Evidence. Yeah. Yeah, evidence. And he pulled out, uh, he, he grabbed my notebook, pulled out a pen, and he drew a betting slip 
on the piece of paper and he drew like the whole thing, like with team names and everything. And he showed it to me and he said, this is what a betting slip looks like. They don't have anything like this on me. Okay. They don't have anything at all like this on me. And all I could think of was, please give me back that notebook. <laughs> I just, I, I will have a betting slip drawn by Pete Rose. Like that it's, is the greatest uh, thing. I, what did happen? Did he take it? You know what happened? He tore it off, crumpled it off because he didn't want me to have the betting slip. It's that he so, it's me. such a hilarious thing to say, like, let me from memory draw an exact replica <laughs> of what the evidence would look like against me if it existed. It doesn't it exist, but let me just for your own edification, draw exactly what it would look like because I've seen it so many times. It's so funny. It's so funny. God bless him. There. Nobody like him, man. Nobody in the whole world like Pete Rose. Well, I think this is a great idea to have Colin back on. We'll do a special Stanley Cup playoffs edition yes. podcast. Yes. Uh, uh, we'll, uh, we will add nothing. Well, well, we'll add nothing, but we will also make incredibly accurate predictions about what will happen <laughs> in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, of course, obviously. And, obviously. Uh, but yes, I think we... we by the way, this is a, we should also plug Too Many Men, which is the excellent Meadowlark uh, podcast about hockey if you haven't checked that out, if you have any interest in hockey, that is an excellent podcast. I don't even watch hockey, and I have listened to it, and it's incredibly entertaining. So check that out. Um, but we're going to have Colin on. We'll do a Stanley Cup playoffs preview. I will get fully on board the Bruins bandwagon. I will. Yeah, I, I think will, so. I, I I'm, think, I'm willing to join you. I'm willing to jump on the look. That's that's a total jump on for me because, I mean, they're they're really good, and I don't have anything other than my one experience of going to a Bruins game. But so what? Yeah. I'm, you know what? I've I've spent the last year trying to pick teams. I'm not doing that anymore. Man. No, man. Like, and also, it feels right. The it Whaler, right. like I would, I was a Whalers fan because it's all Hartford had growing up. But like they, sure. they were they Cleveland Browns it out of out of town. Yes, they did. And they went to Carolina. Yes, and so f them. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm on fully on board the Bruins bandwagon. All right. So can we say that the Boston Bruins are the official team of the podcast, the official hockey team? They are team. the team of the podcast. Great. They are the official team of the podcast. So that is going to be very exciting. We'll do that. All right. I want to ask you, now that we've spent kind of a week, week and a half uh, of, of spring training games, and now we're in the World Baseball Classic. So uh, when you see those games, they kind of look just like the old games do, right? Yeah. Like there's no clock or right. anything. And, and there was some people who thought like, oh, well, maybe they'll speed up. No, they're not. They're not speeding up. Um, and they're also throwing seven or eight pitchers a game. Like I love, I love like the concept of the World Baseball Classic kind of more than I like the actual World Baseball Classic. Yeah. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I was really excited, as we talked about, I think, last week, to watch the Dominican team because the Dominican team is yes. outrageously good. Outrageously good. Very outrageously sad. Good. Vladdy Jr. went down with a knee thing, yes. so he's out of the lineup. Which, But it's still, it's like, now instead of 11 of the best 20 players in baseball, they have 10 right. of the best 20 players in baseball. <laughs> but I, I will get more interested as it goes along, I think. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's a little I hard agree. to at the beginning to get super invested in Netherlands versus Panama or whatever. But well, I watched the Netherlands-Cuba game a little bit. I was, you know, it was it was fine. Uh, Netherlands win, upset, big upset of, yeah. of Cuba. I thought it was a big upset. Um, but it's like, eh, I mean, it doesn't... I don't know. Maybe it's because of the time of year. Nobody's quite in shape. Nobody's, you know, like, I mean, everybody's in shape, of course. Like you and I have talked about, they never get out of shape. But nobody's 
nobody's got the baseball thing going yet. Yeah. You know, the everyday thing. And it just, I don't know. It's still great. I'm not in any way downplaying it. I love it. It's great. I just, I, I, I'm reminded each time it happens that I'm always more excited when it starts. And then there's like two weeks or a week and a half where I'm just like, yeah, this is good. It's fun, but it's not as cool as I thought it was going to be. But then there'll be moments like the like the Javi Baez tag or something like that, that or the uh, Adam Jones uh, yeah. catch where he saved the home run. And then it's like, okay, yeah, now we got Well, it, I know, think, so. uh, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, um, but if they really want to make it an event, they ought to treat it like the World Cup to me. They ought to say like, okay, over the course of two years, there will be qualifying games that are played during the baseball season. And we're just yeah. going to, we're just going to yeah. have to say, you got to let some guys out for a week. They could do it over some of the games over the all-star break every year. You know what I mean? Like they could like, and I know guys want rest and I know there's so much at stake and they don't want to play in games that don't mean anything during the regular season and blah, blah, blah. But that's what it is in soccer too. You can get injured in soccer and they just, they they have decided that this matters for international popularity. And so guys leave their teams, teams like teams, uh, leagues shut down for chunks of time. You know, the premier league schedule is constantly being interrupted by champions league play and FA cup play and all that sort of stuff. So maybe they start treating it like that where there's qualifying slowly over the course of a couple of years. And then, in the third year, you get down to like eight teams and suddenly you've been watching the competition play out over a long period of time. And then you start with those eight teams or something like that. I don't know. There's there's probably ways to better integrate the WBC into the actual ebb and flow of the baseball season. And maybe they'll experiment with those in the future. But I think until the way it is now, until it gets into like the later rounds until you get like yeah. until you get Puerto Rico against the Dominican Republic or right. the USA versus right. Japan or whatever. It's a little, right. yeah, it's like a little bit harder to like deeply invest. It's certainly harder than it is in the world cup. Every match in the euros, every match is fascinating and, and must watch. And well, and, but it also, you know, it's late at night here and there's other things going on. Like I'm kind of like, I, you saw the New York times story about what the, the Czech Republic firefighter who's like going to be playing. Like, that's a great story. Yeah. I love that story, but am I going to stay up till 11 o'clock at night, you know, to just to, to be, watch the beginning of the firefighter go up against, you know, probably not. You no, know? It, you're going to stay it, up to watch Shohei Otani pitch. But right, you're not, but like at, at this point, you, those, the, the, the FA cup has that in, in England, right? Like the FA cup has, right, which is these, so awesome, yeah. which is so awesome where these, these, third division, fourth division, fifth division teams make a run and they end up playing Tottenham in the, in the fifth round or whatever. And, you know, Wrexham, uh, as highlighted in uh, welcome to Wrexham, the show, the Rob McElhaney, Ryan Reynolds show, like Wrexham made a run in the FA cup this year. And it the best thing that possibly could have happened to Rob and (laughs) Ryan Reynolds is that (laughs) their their team is good uh, and made that run. But so, they there are there are storylines like that that can gain momentum, right? If if that firefighter from the Czech Republic, if the Czech Republic started winning and suddenly it was like right. this guy then becomes be a awesome. folk here, then it becomes yeah. awesome. Right. But it, it, in the early stages, are you gonna really deeply invest? No, you're gonna watch Shohei Otani, you're gonna watch the Dominican team, you're gonna watch the Team USA, maybe South of Korea, course. whatever. So anyway, that I I will get more excited about it. I think as it goes along, but right now it's I a little bit right. of a tough I sell. Think that's right. 
but what I was going to ask you was, we've, we've had about a week and a half uh, to two weeks of, of spring training now. Um, eh, not quite that much. But you've, enough that we've seen some games. The, the Red Sox still have not lost, mm-hmm. which is weird. Um, always best to peak in early March. Always. Yeah. That's what they That's say what year you want. after That's year. What you how, want many, to do. how many times have you seen it, you know? Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. What do you think? What do you think of the, uh, I mean, now that we've, we've had a little bit of pace, uh, to look at, we've had some, a few, uh, a few controversies. We've had some people complaining, but we've also had people liking it. We've had a game end with a, with sort of a weird strikeout because of, uh, the automatic strike. Um, what do you think? I'm huge fan. I love all of it. Love it. I have not I seen it. anything that makes me like the game less than I did before. Uh, they're cutting, uh, 25 to 30 minutes of game time out still. I think it's still in the 20 to 30 minute range on average. It's in the 20 to 30 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, It's a good solid 20 minutes every game, basically. It still looks like baseball. It still feels like baseball. Like it, um, I, I said this the other day, uh, on Levitard, I think, um, I missed, I didn't realize the degree to which I missed the left-handed pull hitters rocket line drive to yeah. right being a base hit. Um, yep. I, and this, and that's coming from someone who was, was talking about how much I missed it. Like that was, we've had this disagreement, slight disagreement about the degree to which the shift bothered me versus bothered you. Right. I've always been of the belief that the shift was going to be for gameplay reasons. Like the other things are sucking out boring chunks of time, right? That's what yeah. that mostly the pitch clock and the, you got to be in the box with nine seconds left and all that sort of stuff. That's an attempt to reduce the amount of dead time. The number one thing that is supposed to increase the amount of excitement time is banning the shift because that is attempting at least to put back into play balls that had been taken out of play and turned into outs. And I know it's a small sample to what degree this is going to affect the game going forward, who knows? Also, against certain hitters, against the sort of Bryce Harpers and Max Kepler's of the world and Joey Gallows of the world, 
teams are now taking their left fielder and putting them in which short right field, which, which is, is super bananas. But, <laughs> but by the way, if you wanted to incentivize guys to go the other way, hit the ball on a line to left field and you get a triple Absol- at least. Well, I, th- I think that'll backfire. <laughs> I do not think that strategy lasts. Yeah. Because while everybody pulls the ball to their pull side on the ground, that's not true in the air. In the air, people go the other way all the time. Yeah. And I like I I don't know, like Joey Gallo might be a specific case, but you're not Bryce Harper is way too good for you to go ahead and put your left fielder in right field. That will that will cost you triples. Bryce just Harper flat out will. Bryce Harper hits a lot of home runs to left field. Absolutely. And, and, and a lot of hard line drives yeah. to left field. So, you know? so I, I think you're right. There there might be one or two people. Gallo might be the only guy they end up doing that with. Um but, uh, you know, what's funny is someone, uh, Sarah Langs, our friend Sarah Langs, I believe, put up uh, on Twitter the other day, uh, Didi Gregorius's home run spray <laughs> chart. Did you see that? Yes. He's yes. literally never hit a home run to left field once in his entire never. life. There are yeah. like four to dead center and everything else is to right <laughs> center or right field. It's wild. I did. And like, yeah. I didn't, I wouldn't have said, if you said, hey, make a list of the five top dead pole hitters in the league. I would not have said that Didi Gregorius was one of them. (laughs) So anyway, there might, their analytics might instruct them to do that against certain guys. But generally speaking, what you have seen is ground ball. There hasn't been a left-hander hitting a ground ball, uh, a, a, not a rocket shot, but like just a ground ball between first and second. That ball has been an out every single time it has been hit in the last seven years now. You've yeah. never seen a guy go through the one hole uh, from the left side. If that guy is a dead pole hitter, every one of those ends up in the glove of the third baseman or the second baseman or whoever's playing short right field. And you've seen now a decent smattering of balls Absolutely. hit to that side Absolutely. that are hits. And it's like, this is what makes baseball fun. I hate to say it. People getting hits. That's what makes baseball well, fun. There are a couple of things that this, the, this really first occurred to me talking to Molly Knight uh, we we did a little a little podcast together um, and she brought this up and this really occurred to me okay let's forget about it from for a moment forget about it from the fan perspective and think about it purely from the player's perspective and not only from the player perspective but let's think about it from the defensive player's perspective so in other words pitchers nothing frustrates a pitcher more than somebody beating the shift with some cheap ground ball right. that goes through. And I believe she was saying it was if it was Kershaw. I can't remember who specifically said to her, but they said, I would rather, he goes, he, the person who was saying it, if it was Kershaw maybe, was saying, I'm not arguing that I would get, I get more outs with the shift. I'm not arguing the analytics of it, mm-hmm. but I am arguing the emotions of it because one cheap hit to me is worse than two stolen hits. Hmm. Like that, like that feels worse. And I, I thought a lot about that and I thought, you know what? That's right. Because here's what it is. When these pitchers give up a line drive to that, the short right fielder uh, makes the play on those pitchers don't feel good about themselves. They don't feel like I did my job. Right. They feel like, yeah, okay, you know what? They, they were smart enough to put a guy in right field, but I gave up a blistering line drive. I did not do my job. On the other hand, if you hit that cheapo little ground ball through the left side for a single, 
They're like, I did do my job. Right. And, and it didn't count. I saw a similarly interesting quote from Francisco Lindor where he was saying, I love being back on the left side of the infield because, like, I can make the defensive plays I grew up making. Right. Like, you know? And I thought to myself, man, you know what? Nobody really brought any of that up. But for the players mentally, this is way better. Way better. Yeah. This is like this. This is not only what they grew up with, but this is like if I'm a pitcher, my job is to make you is to strike you out or make you hit soft contact. Pop it up, hit the ball soft. If you rip one off of me, you beat me. Right. And that had not been reflected with the with the shift. Same thing defensively. Yeah. If if I put Francisco Lindor in exactly the right spot on the right side of the infield, sure he's going to make the play, but that's not what he grew up dreaming about. That was like this guy's a brilliant defensive shortstop who was used to going into the hole and making the play or going up the middle and making the play. We really it it was it was great from a strategic standpoint, but it did not do a lot for the players, I don't think. It's interesting. I mean, it's these are this is really the rubber meeting the road here with the tra- right. traditionalists versus the analytics folks. And as you well know, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I tend to be on the analytics side of things. I did of, not know that. Yeah, no, it's a, really? it's a well-guarded secret that I've kept from the world for a long time. <laughs> However, there is something to be said, certainly, for saying like, look, you take a photo of a baseball game played in 1952 between the Yankees right. and the Dodgers and the World Series or whatever, and right. then you take a photo of a baseball game today, and they look the same. And if you th- that that there baseball has unique in its history, the um, the ability to say like generally speaking, we're playing the same game that we've always played. There were a lot of changes at the beginning. It used to be seven balls and six strikes for a walk or a strikeout, right? It used to be there the fences, the outfield fences used to be four hundred and fifty feet away and people were having That's picnics right. on the on the field in the outfield <laughs> while the game was being played. It's not like it's always been the same. And, it's, and so things things you know, modified over time. We trial and error, and they move the fences in, they move them back out. You know, Bobby Thompson's home run. Uh was, was it Bob was it in the Polo grounds where the left field fence was like 278 feet away. Oh, yeah, away Bobby Thompson's home was a fly ball. It's, it's a, a fly yeah. ball anywhere. Right. Yeah, it's just a fly ball. So they're all right. Well, you got to move the fences back now. Guys are getting stronger. So it's not, they, they've tinkered and tinkered and tinkered and tinkered. But there is there is something that was a, that was fundamentally disruptive to the flow of the game by saying, look, we have the data. We know where they're going to hit it. Let's put the guys where we know they're going to hit it. And then they were right. And then as a result, no one got any hits. Nobody hit 300. Nobody had 200 hits in a season. No one. And then, and you then, and that's not the only thing. It's also like, hey, in order to be successful stealing bases, you got to steal at like a 78% rate to make it worth it. Yeah. All right, everybody stop stealing. Just stop stealing. And okay, well, that like the, it logically makes sense. It is an improvement on your chances to win and all that stuff. And every one of those things took something away from the ebb and flow of the game to the point where it became like a little bit robotic. And I think that if we unrobotize it a tiny bit, 
Not like we're not saying they're wrong. The analytics people were right. It's just that the conclusions that they drew led to the game losing something kind of fun. Well, it, it, it is it, it is a damn game, man. It's a damn yeah. it's a damn game <laughs> that is supposed to be entertaining. And so, like, I, I think the, the I think what we're saying here is both things are true. The analytics yes. folks were right. Everything they said and thought and analyzed and calculated was correct. And also, the results of what they did removed an, a certain elements of fun on the margins of the game. And if the point of it is to be entertaining and provide fans with a good experience, then you gotta just say like, "You guys are right," and also we we're not gonna let we can't deal with your crap anymore because we gotta we gotta make the game fun. Absolutely, and we and we can take it a step further because and I I know we've talked about this briefly. It wasn't their jobs to do anything other than to win. Right. That that wasn't the job of the analytics people to also make the game entertaining. They didn't care about making the game entertaining. Right. You know, it's funny that Theo Epstein now, that's his job, yeah. is to make the game more entertaining and fun. And, you know, I was talking to a couple of the guys. Um, if, if you haven't seen it, I wrote a piece for Esquire this month uh, that you can pick up as as uh, me and Chris Pine are on the cover of Esquire this month. You wrote a profile so can, of Chris Pine is what I understand. Is that I, not true? I, no, no. Like I, a long I profile was, of Chris Pine and his no, acting career. I wrote, and, I wrote about baseball and Chris Pine talked about baseball. Apparently Chris Pine was uh, a baseball player when he was young. I thought Chris Pine wrote about the new baseball rules and you wrote about Chris <laughs> Pine. Do I have Chris it wrong? Chris Pine is anti-shift. Really? That, that which was shocking. I don't know. Shocking. Or not. <laughs> shocking. So, um, but I talked to some of the people and they're like, it's awesome to have Theo because it's like, it's like the catch me if you can. Yeah, guy, right? that's like, exactly like, what it is. I, this just occurred to me. It's, it's the old story of a computer hacker being caught by That's the right. government and then the government saying, come work for us and tell us how to stop the other hackers, right? It's like nobody yeah. knows so more they, about that stuff than the guy who's now in charge of undoing it. That's right. So they're, they're going to him and they're like, all right, how are people going to respond to this change? And he like has an answer. Oh, they're going to try this. They're going to try this. And, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't know how long you stay ahead of the analytics guys, right? These guys are constantly thinking and constantly developing and evolving and and they will and and you know but it is the responsibility of baseball to keep the game entertaining it's their job they the the analytics people keep doing what you're doing it's not like nobody's anybody's yeah. asking them to like think anything else but it's baseball's job to have analytics people working for them that can tell you yeah, you know what? Fans want the games to be closer to two and a half hours and fans want more triples and fans want more stolen bases and fans want more balls in play. And we're going to tinker with the rules a little bit because it's not significant. That's one thing that, that I don't like when people say people are like, oh, this pitch clock is brand new. It's not. The rule has been on the books forever that you have to get the pitch off within 12 seconds of when you get it. So that rule has always been there. This is just one that's going to to help enforce a rule that was already on the book. Can I make a, a suggestion for how to make games more fun too? Yeah, let's hear it. A guy uh, who worked for the Oklahoma City Thunder the other night hit a half-court shot and won 20 grand. Right. Every time I'm at a basketball game and anyone is pulled out of the crowd and they have to like all the versions are great. Half court shot, it's, full court shot, great. layup, what about the, free throw, three-pointer. Right, you have to make four shots. Four right, shots, layup, whatever. Throw, yeah, it yeah. is 
endlessly delightful. We have also talked about the Dr. Pepper challenge and the and, and oh, the college football the championships, and now how the analytics people got to that too. And it's like, don't throw it like a football; <laughs> push it with your hand, like a like a like a chess pass. But who doesn't love that stuff, right? Everybody. There are everybody. nine innings in a baseball game. That's nine yep. changeovers. How how are they not doing this in baseball? How is it? How are they not in the third inning of every game? A fan comes out of the stands and stands at second base and tries to throw the ball into a bucket that's put on home plate. And if they get it in, it's 10 grand. How are they not doing stuff? Like there's a billion or, or anything. Think about how many like, hit a home run, trying to hit trying a home run, hit a home run, trying to hit yeah. a home run yeah. or, or, or putting targets in the outfield. And if you hit a ball that lands on the target, you get five pitches. Yeah, you get like, like if you, if you hit like, if you hit a target, you'll win like, a $50, you know, gift certificate to, to, you know, Olive Garden or whatever. Right. But if you hit it over the fence, you win 10 grand. If you hit it over the fence, you win 50 grand right. or whatever. Co- like, Which how are we not doing this? How are we not doing this in baseball? Because, because baseball tends to think of that kind of stuff as, as uh minor league. I think this is really true. I think they always want to separate what's minor league and what's major league. But here's the thing. They kind of do do that in Atlanta with the freeze. Yeah. Where they have fans race the freeze. And what's better than watching the fans race the all, freeze? All it's of those the things. The sausage race in Milwaukee, racing yep. the freeze is great. Make it make it for make put what put five of those in every game. This is where, yep. again, we have talked about the Savannah Bananas before. This is where yes. the Savannah Bananas as a laboratory so right. might begin to potentially influence the games. The major league games. I think there should be two to three actual contests, on-field contests between innings every every game, with with people trying to do baseball skill things for money. Yes, like try, yes. like you get a like here's here's the thing. You have a uh, you put a guy at first base and you say. If you can steal the the pitcher's gonna pitch in his warm up. If you can steal second, you get ten thousand dollars or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you can integrate them into the natural rhythms of the warm up process between innings. Well, I'm gonna just tell you this is this is the craziest thing, but this is absolutely true. I have an 18 year old daughter. My 18 year old daughter kind of likes baseball somewhat. Just growing up in our house, not really, but kind of does. None of her friends do. I think we all know that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, literally zero. Like, they went to a baseball game for some as part of some trip a couple of years ago, and she was, like, the only one that even knew the rules. I mean, it's it's crazy how this morning, absolutely this morning, Katie, my 18-year-old, texted me and said, can we go see the Savannah Bananas? That, like, literally this morning yeah. said, can we go see the Savannah Bananas? You want to talk about getting young kids into the game, yep. man. I mean, look, you don't want it to be, I get it. Like the Savannah Bananas, well, some of the stuff they do is kooky and ridiculous and it would it would interfere with the history of the game and the tradition of the game, whatever. A lot of the stuff they do is pretty cool. Yeah. And if you would just find cool parts of this, just loosen up. And I think that the fan thing is great, because they, especially because they do – stupid things with fans now right they don't let them on the field but they do like the hey if you can name the next word of this song or you can like or you know, like do the contest. the balls under one of the hats and the hats, balls under one of the whatever, hats. Yeah. exactly which which by the way people love that even that stupid and, thing that people love and also here's the thing man okay you don't want to make it seem minor league fine then don't do it in the playoffs 
Stop it. In right. the, make it a regular season. You're talking about 162 games for every team, 81 home games per team, games in May and June and July yes. that are just one after another. The Royals are playing the Guardians <laughs> on May 7th at 1.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday. Like that, you the idea that this is hallowed ground and that we can't, oh, we shouldn't be uh, unprofessional in the way that we present yeah. the part. Like, give it up, man. It's over. That era is over. Like, the, yes. we, they, the more things you can do, this is where we need Bill Vec. Rhymes with wreck. Right. We need Bill Vec back. We need guys who think like that and women who think like that in front offices to say, this is about providing every single day. A, a exciting, fun, loose family experience that yeah. people can enjoy. You know what? It, you know what it reminds me of, honestly, is um, so when I worked at Saturday Night Live, we used to do like usually like twenty to twenty-two shows per year, right? right? And which is you know roughly the number of episodes that any any show used to do on a network. And then there were um, shows like uh, Letterman and Conan O'Brien and The Tonight Show that did like 240 shows a year because they were doing Monday through Friday every night and they would take weeks off, but they were, you know, 240, 250. They were doing 200, yeah. Right, so we were nominated with them from time to time for like things like the Emmys and we'd be in the same category as Conan and whatever and we would always think, God, this isn't fair, man. We're doing 22 a year and they're doing 240 a year. And then... HBO got into the game and they started doing Dennis Miller live and Chris Rock <laughs> show and whatever. They were doing like 10 a year. 10, And yeah. those guys would win. They would win the Emmys for those shows for writing. And it would be like, you watch the Dennis Miller, the old Dennis Miller live show on HBO. It was like a nine minute monologue and then right. an interview. There's no yep. writing in the interview. There's nine <laughs> minutes. So they were doing nine minutes of comedy a week and Conan they were doing, you know, whatever, uh, 140 minutes of comedy a week <laughs> for for 50 times as many weeks or whatever. And they were losing awards to Dennis Miller and Chris Rock. And it was like, that is, it's not a fair fight. And what this is why when you're talking about baseball and you're talking about trying to entertain people, you yeah. are, you're the Tonight Show. You're, you're John Stewart. You're uh, the Daily Show with John Stewart. You're Conan. You're doing this every night of the week, all year round, from April all the way through October. Like you cannot compete with the NFL. The NFL is no. 16 times a week. The product is so much 17, I guess now. The their product is so much more concentrated and rare, and everyone's attention is on every game in the NFL. Yep. And then you're yep. competing against basketball, which is 82 games. That's half as many games as you yes. play. <laughs> and same with hockey. And so you have to make the average game in order to appeal to people and win people over. The average iteration of your sport has to be so much more entertaining and so much more inviting because you are you're just desperate to get people's eyes on you and differentiate one game from the next. And anything they can do that will help that happen, they should be doing, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I agree. Well, look, I mean, it actually was uh, talking with somebody about this. I mean, that that the the television thing still exists. Like John Oliver, who I think is utterly brilliant, that guy wins the Emmys every, every year against the year. Tonight Show and yeah. Seth Meyers and Kimmel and those guys. They're doing what? 10 times the number of shows he's doing? Yeah. I mean, minimum? Something you know? like I mean, that, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous, you know? Um, 
But here's the thing about the NBA. I mean, NHL does to some degree, but I, don't, I haven't been to as many NHL games. The NBA does kooky, wild stuff Tons every of night. Stuff. Tons of stuff. Every night. I mean, obviously, they've got all the music and the dancers and, and all this, but halftime is a guy on a unicycle. It's the dunkers. It's the, you know, it could be anything. Some crazy thing. They all have fan experience yep. stuff, you know. Um and baseball is sort of minor league baseball still tries to do like the little spinny bat thing and the and you know the, the getting the kids to 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 put on the full size mm-hmm. jerseys and all of that kind of thing which is fun you don't have to go quite that far low but yeah why not there are there there are high class versions of those things that they of could do of course there are and 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 it literally are. starts with like think about the half court shot for 20 grand like just the fact that it's twenty grand means that's this yes. isn't a minor league enterprise. This isn't a right. exper- This isn't the Harlem Globetrotters. Like this is a <laughs> this is a tw- this is twenty thousand dollars. And it, you know some places they're fifty thousand or it gets up to a hundred thousand or whatever. Like there is legitimate drama. Think about this. Think about on on opening day, uh, the Cincinnati Reds say this guy is going to try to hit a home run for a thousand dollars if he hits a home run he gets a thousand dollars and if he doesn't it goes up a thousand dollars every game right and so then you get into july and august and now the prize is sixty two thousand dollars or seventy five thousand dollars or whatever (laughs) you know like that the drama builds slowly over the course of the year people are excited about it is it's like the way the powerball if nobody wins the powerball it rolls over now it's 368 million now it's 522 million like that becomes a story so start it started at um started at you know there's look there's 81 home games right started at two thousand dollars and make it go up two thousand dollars every game the grand or prize started at 10 and make it go up right you know one and started at 25 so it ends up at 100, up right, at 100 right. right that's like nobody's gonna hit a home run right. that's the other thing right nobody's but at some point run. in the season someone, oh, someone is gonna hit the will. warning track and it's gonna be amazing <laughs> And that person is going to be on SportsCenter. That's my. That's the right. whole point. Right. Right. I mean, like that's going to just. Here, here's the thing about the half court shot. Wherever they do it, no matter how little money's on the line, because like if you do it in college for like five hundred bucks or whatever, everybody stops. Everybody Everyone watches. stops. If that ball hits the back of the rim and bounces off, every single person in the crowd goes awe at exactly the same time. Yep. Everybody's into it. I mean, I. I here's 100%, here's another 100%. thing. Uh, go to Clippers games a lot out here. You know what they do before we, you get, I like to get there super early. My son and I always get there super early, watch them shoot around. It's so fun to watch NBA players shoot best. around. It's just it's incredible. Well, that's the other thing. They took that away. They took away the infield practice yep. in baseball. Yeah. Infield practice is awesome. But it's another, awesome, uh, and it's gone. So the players shoot around 90 minutes before the game, usually with like, you know, 55 minutes before the game, they go back into the locker rooms. You know what yep. they do at Clippers games? They bring out two youth basketball teams and they let them run up and down the court and play a game <laughs> for like for like 10 minutes. And I swear to God, there's whatever, 5,000 people on the stands. Everyone gets deeply invested in of these games. Of course they do. Guy, like <laughs> girls hit threes. The crowd goes crazy. People like like dribble down the lane and kick to someone if there's an, uh, for, an, for an open <laughs> shot. The crowd goes, what? Like, uh. <laughs> It's goddamn thrilling. And it's so like, and, and there is this baseball fields, and I know this from having been to some of them and on some of them, people act like when you, when you uh, are able to walk onto a baseball field, there are 28 
team officials around who are like, okay, you cannot step here. You can only oh, yeah, step here. Course. And don't, please don't step. You need to, oh, what kind of shoes are you wearing? Are you the, and it's like, guys, guys, I mean, like what is going to happen? Like you're going to, a blade of grass is going to be bent the wrong way is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And they got to, they got to stop caring about that entirely. And they got to say, okay, here's what's going to happen. Guys are going to take BP and uh, and 30 minutes before the game, we are going to invite two middle school teams out and they're going to play <laughs> one inning and they're and we're going to see if it and like let let kids run around. Let kids come onto the field and run around after the game or before the game. Well, and they play. do some of that after the game. Sometimes they'll have the, they the kids run the bases. the bases. Yeah, but it's like, like even it's like now feels, it's like the field is already torn up. So just let them tear whatever. But it's like, right. And on. it's also I the thing I don't never liked about that is, yes, it's cool. But it doesn't feel like baseball. No. You're there with 5,000 other people all. Like, you're in a parade running around the bases. Like, it doesn't – that's not really the experience. Look, one of the things that, that I think they should bring back is 10 minutes before the game, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it is, both teams have infield practice. I don't understand. Like, that was always such a cool thing yeah. to watch. It's very similar in coolness – to watching, um, you know, the guys uh, um, shoot around yeah. for an NBA game. Like, one of my favorite things watching those is, like, they, like, okay, hit a few balls to the outfielders and the outfielders run in, you know? Yeah. But seeing the right fielder unleash the throw home, awesome. Yeah. It's just awesome. It doesn't, it's awesome. And then watching the guys in the infield throw the ball around, it's so cool. It takes five minutes. You just have the home team do it. You don't have to have both teams do it if you don't want. But just, just make it let, feel like let man, us we're watch, happy Let you're us watch here. some cool stuff. Just let us <laughs> right? watch some cool we're, stuff. We're we're happy you're here. When the you NBA know? teams just... come out before the game starts, when there's five minutes before the game and they're they're in a layup line, I could watch a layup. I could watch an NBA layup line for an hour. It's the greatest. It's, it's uh, the greatest. like and they start like goofing around and they jump up and they switch hands like Jordan oh. and lay it on the other side and. I, they start doing 360 dunks and stuff. Like, it's, it's amazing. The, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. I actually once did a whole story just about Tim Duncan in the layup line because, like, everybody else is goofing around and Tim Duncan is not. Tim Duncan, <laughs> like, literally, it was, everything was so – and he only shot from, like, the, the two sides where he, he would bank shot after bank shot. It was so awesome. Um, but, I mean, you're right because I remember – like one of the coolest things ever I've ever seen was watching Ozzie Smith take infield practice. Yeah, because he's doing stuff like he'll catch the ball and then without even looking, just throw it like underhand, like he was throwing it away and it would end up perfectly in the glove of the first baseman. It yeah. was like a magic trick. Yeah, you know? man. And these guys are so good at this. I it, again, a lot of it feels to me like the game feels separate. From the fans. Right. It's like you should feel lucky that you're getting to watch it. It's a performance. But that's not real. The NBA is sort of more welcoming. The it's fans like just, are on top here. of the game in the NBA. The fans yeah. are literally yeah. on the court with the players. And it adds an immediacy and an excitement to it. Guys go flying into the stands and knock beers over that are being held by spectators. Like yes. that, that is like a key element of the game is how tightly packed in the crowd is to an NBA game. And yeah. uh, baseball, you're right. And now with the netting, which is a good thing. I'm not saying there shouldn't be netting around the whole infield. There should be. But now it really feels like, oh, they're over there and we're over here. 
And yeah, it kind of feels like they separate you a little yeah. bit more. And I do think letting more fans on the field to do cool stuff and and just just having more just interesting like little things that happen during the games is kind of cool. Like I can remember as a kid, Rocky Calavito was the um, uh, Cleveland uh, first base coach, I think, at the time. And he, of course, Rocky Calavito famously had a, an incredible arm. There's actually a little Rocky Calavito story in my new book uh, coming out called Why We Love Baseball. The Baseball uh, 100? I, I did, no, no, it's a new one. I've, I'm writing, I've written the a baseball new one. The Baseball 100? No, Why We Love Baseball, it's called. Uh, you wrote another book about baseball? <laughs> the, baseball 100, <laughs> the Baseball 100 is 2,200 pages long. What was there left to That's say right. about baseball after there, the Baseball it's 100? A good, it's a good question. I counted down the greatest moments in baseball history. Uh, and you can and get this book those, in a couple of years, probably two or three years from now. S- September 5th. If you can get of this the, year? You can get the, of this year, you can actually pre-order the book right now. From, from Amazon. Everywhere from Amazon or something, books. right? There's probably no way to get it personalized, though, if you order it from well, Amazon. Well, there is. I'm so glad you asked this question. Uh, because you can get it from Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the other places. But if you want it personalized, if you want it uh, inscribed, Anything you want, anything you want me to say within 130 characters, that's the number that we've come up with. Okay. Anything you want me to say within 130 characters, I'll say it. I'll write it. I'll, I don't care. Now, I, I don't, if you swear, I'm not doing it. I was going to say, I'm like, probably if you ask Joe to write something racist, misogynistic, or foul, he probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that won't happen. He'll probably I'll, write, I'll thanks for reading, and then sign his name. <laughs> I actually had one guy like uh, say, you know, that had write something. And I think he called it was a, it was about the Cincinnati Reds and it was very long. And I changed he had it like Cincinnati like three different times in, in the thing. And I changed like two of them to Reds to, to shorten them. Mm-hmm. And he was furious. He's like, this isn't what I told you to say. <laughs> he was furious. Come on, dude. Dude, let it go, Relax. man. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, Rocky Calavito, when he was a coach, he had this amazing arm uh, as a player and as a coach. Sometimes before the game, for no reason at all, he would stand at home plate and he would throw the ball over the center field wall just for the fans, just to, for the fans to, to see something cool. I, I, I don't know. It just feels like we could have more of that kind of stuff. It feels like you we know, could have more here's what's interesting. fun, cool stuff. This is the last thing I'll say about this because we've been talking about it for too long. Although I should add, if Theo Epstein is listening, just hire Joe and me to fix baseball. Like we'll, Epstein, We will, Theo, we will dude, absolutely take care of it for you. Of course. We'll help you. But you, what is interesting about this, what we're talking about, is you have started to see players take matters into their own hands by, for example— you know, Mike Trout, and I think Adam Jones did this, and a couple other center fielders go out, and they have a catch with a kid in the front uh, yes. front row of the outfield uh, grandstand. Like, right. right? They'll they'll throw they'll play catcher. Like the kid will drop a poster, and the kid, guy will sign it and throw it back up or whatever. Yep. You have yep. started to see, and I don't know, I don't believe this was a mandate from baseball to do no. this. I think no the way. players are like, hey, our fans are right there, and instead of pretending that I don't see them or hear them or talk to them if one of them reaches out to me i'm going to play catch with that kid and i'm going to give that kid a memory that will last for the rest of his or her life and that to me speaks to this idea that the players would kind of enjoy a little more of that stuff within reason right it gets sometimes it gets violent if you're in the wrong wrong city wrong fans wrong amount of beer having been drunk you don't want to have anything to do with those folks 
But and it could also get out of control. It could be too many people. Totally. After. I, we we get all of that. We get all of that. But I feel every time that has started to creep in, and I feel like it's an indication that the players maybe feel like, hey, it would be nice if we made a little more of a connection with the folks who paid to come out here, especially kids. Like this is all about kids, right? This is all about young people going to a game being wide-eyed, full of excitement at the beginning yeah. of their fandoms and having and Mike Trout throws you a baseball at your first Angels game, you are a baseball fan for the rest of your life. You're never giving up on the game. You will buy season tickets. You will follow that you will follow the sport for the till the end of time and like they got to kind of do that retail politics is what it's called in the political game, right? It's like you got to go Absolutely. like person by person, door to door like one after another and just make those connections. I was on, uh, speaking of, of uh, Meadowlark, I was on the Meadowlarkers podcast uh, with Howard Bryant and Amin. And Amin asked a great question, which was, Amin's not a huge baseball fan, uh, but he's very interested. Uh, he's obviously, he's as good as it gets when it comes to the NBA, yeah. my gosh. But, uh, but he asked me a question. He said, can't you argue that baseball will always appeal to, to older people anyway. So it doesn't matter if you get young people because when they become of a certain age, that's really when they start like, oh, I kind of, baseball's more my pace. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting. And I said to him, there is, I believe, some truth to that. But here's the thing. Most people are coming back to baseball right. when they get older. Right. They, had, they liked it when they were a kid. They lost touch with it for 15, 20, 25 years, whatever. And then when they get a little bit older, like, oh, man, you know what? I've got a little more time at night. It's kind of a cool thing to fall asleep to. It's kind of fun, you know, whatever. <laughs> and and they come back to it a little bit. My big concern with baseball is you don't get them the first time. Right. You know, that's the thing. It's like, it's yes, it's always been a, a challenge from that whatever, 18 to 35 bracket. That's always been a baseball challenge. But used to be if you were 10 – you had them. Right. And then if you're older than 35, you might have You would them. quantum leap through those years, but you had right. this base of love and understanding and knowledge that you could rediscover. Right. And you've got to get them early. And I do think the game should cater more toward kids. And I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about, Theo, uh, <laughs> would cater... <laughs> Would, Theo, would, Theo, <laughs> our good friend Theo, listen to us, um, because I think that would really be a great for the game. Yeah. So, here we go. And you know what? We had nothing to talk about. We still talked for a hundred, an hour and twenty minutes. That's the way it it's, works. The, well, this, Welcome to the podcast, people. That's the podcast. <laughs> All right, time for one last meaningless thing. Then this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. And uh, why did you go first? The great sports shame of my life, and I believe uh -oh. I've talked about this before, but the great sports shame is that I've never in person seen LeBron James play basketball. Right. Not once. That's right. 
Now, this is not for lack of trying. I have tried. I have purchased tickets and attended no fewer than four basketball games in which LeBron James was supposed to play. Was supposed to play. And in all four of those games, LeBron James has not played through bad luck, injury, DNP, rest, etc. The most recent of these was I, I, at the beginning of the season, got out the old calculator. I calculated how many points LeBron James needed. This was about five games into the year. I calculated okay. how many points he needed to break uh, the record, Kareem's record, how many games he had uh, uh, in the season, r- used a, a rough average, and, and calculated that I believed he was going to break the record on March 9th against the Milwaukee Bucks. I saw that okay. that game was on TNT. It's against Giannis. Kareem used to play for Milwaukee. Sure. I think reasonably that's the game LeBron is going to target. National game against the Bucks at home. Giannis, here we go. I bought two excellent seats to that game. Nice. And I watched over the course of the entire season as the pace would alter a little this way, alter a little that way. A couple weeks before the record, he was having a great game, I think, against the Knicks, although I can't remember, and had like had like 39 or 40. The game went into overtime. He scored like six or eight or ten more in <laughs> overtime, and I thought, oh, no, 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 this is bad. Because the game before it was also a home game on February 7th, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I think I'm screwed. He needed whatever it was, 36 going into that game. He scored yes. 38, broke the record. Yes, he did. My two tickets to the next game were then <laughs> worthless, but I had them anyway. So I go to the game because I'm like, by the way, I've never seen Giannis play live either. Ah, there you go. But I then realized the next day he's going to sit this game out, isn't he? Because he just <laughs> broke the record. He's totally sitting out. And, of course, he did. So yes. I come home. I say to my son, my son, by the way, my jerk son, has seen LeBron play like seven times because he's had friends say like, hey, I've got tickets to a Lakers game, whatever. He's seen LeBron. He's bored of watching LeBron play basketball. So I say to my son, I've still never seen LeBron play, incredibly. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to buy tickets to two of the Lakers remaining home games spread out over a decent amount of time. And you can go, I'm going to take my buddy to one of them, but I'll take you to another one. Who do you want to see who you've never seen play? And at that moment, Kyrie had just been traded to the Mavs, and he's like, we've never seen Luka play. Now we could see Luka and Kyrie play, and we could boo Kyrie, which would be really fun. Great. Sold. Two tickets. Lakers, Mavs. LeBron is now out with a foot injury. (laughs) And by the way, not only is he not going to play in that game, I believe, based on his current schedule, he's also going to miss the second game of the two games that I played, which is like a week and a half later. I think there's a decent chance that I never see LeBron James play basketball because, I mean, if the Lakers make the playoffs, I have decided he's definitely going to play in all of their playoff games. And so I will I will bite the bullet and I will spend an ungodly amount of money. I will spend four times as much money as you spend on those Hamilton tickets all those years ago. (laughs) No way. Just to see just to see LeBron play. But I can't. This will be now. I'm not kidding. Six discrete times that I have tried to go see LeBron play basketball and will not see LeBron play basketball. It's unfathomable. You're going to you're going to you're going to pre-purchase those tickets and they're not going to make the playoffs. That's basically <laughs> what's going to happen here. It's infuriating. Think, I've seen I, everyone else, I mean except for Giannis. Giannis is a big one. 
and and I guess Luca now. Although Luca's twenty three, I've got twenty yeah, years to see Luca play. See Luca. I've yeah, seen yeah. every. I've seen. I've seen Durant. I've seen obviously Westbrook. I've seen. Uh, I've seen anybody. I saw Tim Duncan play. I've seen everybody sure. play, except the greatest player to ever play basketball. And I can't. You know, get I'm. I I like the NBA. I'm not as big an NBA guy as you are. Uh, I've seen LeBron play like ten times. Like I everyone just, like... has, he's been in the league for twenty <laughs> years. Of course, you have. Like uh, this is just—it's completely. I mean, obviously, like I was never—I never lived in a city before. Now I've lived in LA since two thousand four. So he was in Cleveland. He was in Miami. They maybe came out here once a year, right? Then when the, you're, you have, a, if you're in the East, you're playing the Lakers and the Clippers once each. And I just—it never seemed important. To like, oh, I have to knock check this off my list. Sure. So for all the Cleveland Miami back to Cleveland years, I had two chances a year to see him. And in a couple of those occasions, I was like, ooh, LeBron's in town. I'll go see LeBron in 2012 or whatever. And then whatever it was, he didn't play. <laughs> he didn't play. Uh, and so and the, so then now he's been in L.A. And when he first came to L.A., I was like, God, these tickets are so – Lakers tickets, even when they stink, are so expensive. So yes. and then the pandemic hit. No one could go see games for a while. Like <laughs> it's just been one thing after another where like for whatever reason, it's never worked out. And now I'm like, oh, God, there's a he's going to play at least one more year. I will see him play at some point. He's going to play at I least one more. It. It's yeah. going to happen. But it's gonna happen. I believe there's a, also a chance that like after this season, he's like, guess what? I'm starting a new franchise on the moon and Bronny's going to come play with me and we're only playing home games because we're going to be on the moon and I'll just never get to see him. I think you're going to get to see him. I think you're going to have to spend a gargantuan sum of money yeah. before it ever happens. I think that's basically what's going I've on. I've already spent a gargantuan amount of money and I've never seen him. We have to do this, by the way. Maybe we should do this next podcast. We do the five greatest players any sport that we've seen live oh i love it all right don't you think don't yeah you think? five we'll, or ten greatest we'll do players that we'll do that seen. stay tuned for that next week i love that that'll be a next week's podcast all right all right my one last meaningless thing is um i don't normally like to talk about this but uh i have an electric car uh that that, that i uh, have had for a few years now and it's great and i i love it uh i i think it's the greatest thing and i'm not even talking about purely from an environmental standpoint i like driving it i Mm -hmm. like not having to ever go to a gas station i I, there's just i like it but here's one thing about it is that you don't ever turn this car off Mm -hmm. or on you just go in and then hit it into reverse and go and then when you park it you just park it and leave you don't ever i know exactly where this is going by the way (laughs) But continue. So I have also, uh, my wife does not have an electric car. My wife has a regular gas car. I, of course, had to rent regular gas cars mm-hmm. several times. And I am constantly leaving yep. these cars off. <laughs> <laughs> I just leave them on. Yeah. And usually I remember... Like, you know, like I'll be like, whoa, my God, what an idiot. I'm, you know, like I try to lock the car and I'm like, oh, wait, I, I, I can't lock the car because it's still running or something will happen. However, a couple of weeks ago, I brought the car into the garage and I uh, forgot to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And of course, the garage door closed 
And now I literally am threatening the life of my entire family. Correct. By forgetting to turn the car off, which, of course, within a couple of minutes, a minute or two, uh, I figured out and was able, or my wife figured out, and we were able to, to, to do it. But this is a danger. Now, it has now become, like, to the point where it's, like, it's not really funny anymore. It's really a danger to society. So this is raises another question I have about technology in general, which is, why don't more things have automatic shutoffs? For example, yes. a car that you leave idling, you could have right. a sensor in the seat, for example, to see like is some is anyone sitting in this car? Absolutely. Or, and if no one is sitting in the car, it could flash a warning that says, "Is anyone still in this car? You have three minutes to do X, Y, and Z thing that will indicate right. that you want this engine to still be on. And if not, it's going to shut off." The same right. thing is true. I once made uh, myself uh, some eggs, and I uh, so I lifted the frying pan off of the stove, and I put the eggs in the thing, and then I went over and I turned the, I, I like put water into the pan to cool it down, and then I was salting the eggs. And I was also making toast, and I was buttering the toast. And after like two minutes, I realized that the, I'd left the gas burner on. Burner on, sure. And I was about to leave the house, and I thought, God damn, like I almost, I could have <laughs> left that burner on for hours and hours and hours, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Why is there not a sensor in a in the grate over every burner where if, if there's nothing on top of it at a certain point, it, it just, just shuts the gas off? Like Shuts off. Right. I feel it's, like we are we question. are advanced now as a society. Everything has a sensor in it. If you're at a traffic light, if you're waiting, if you uh, uh, at an intersection and you pull up to uh, uh, to wait for like your left turn signal, if there's no car there, there's a sensor that That's says right. there's no car here. The we don't need the left turn. Whatever. That's if right. they can put it in concrete in the road, they can put yes. it in the in the in the thing that goes over your gas burner, right? Like, <laughs> I I, yes. I feel like more things for safety reasons should have automatic shutoffs. Yes. Where where is big shut off in all of this? Like I mean, like with this is That's a good question. This is a, the, the, it's also, a societal question. I don't know who's in charge of these things. I'm gonna guess it's Theo. So Theo, if you're listening, <laughs> put Joe and me in charge also of automatic shutoff mechanisms and we will fix all this stuff for we you. We will we will put them in everything. Theo everything will have an automatic shut off. Theo, come on. <laughs> Theo. All right. <clears throat> We've done another one of these things and uh hey, tune in next week. Oh, before we go. LeBron or Michael? This week, uh, I say it's LeBron. Let's see here. I say it's LeBron. Yeah, I still think it's LeBron. I yep. still think LeBron number one. All right, Michael, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me. kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>